0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is time? If you went back in time and did a mischief to your grandfather, would you disappear? What's the current science on time and science fiction?
1: Welcome to the 922nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON, AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, and on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those cosmic questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today, uh, we bring you a familiar guest who had the time to join our show today.
0: Yeah, I see what you did there, Ben.
1: I know, sometimes I have have a good one.
0: Sometimes. Nick Redfern is a full-time author and journalist, specializing in a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, UFO sightings, government conspiracies, alien abductions, and paranormal phenomena. The author of some 50 books that I know of, Nick writes regularly for the London Daily Express newspaper, Forty and Times, Fate, and UFO Magazine. His previous books include Three Men Seeking Monsters, Strange Secrets, Cosmic Crashes, The FBI Files, and his latest, Time Travel, The Science and Science Fiction. Among his many exploits, Nick has investigated reports of lake monsters in Scotland, vampires in Puerto Rico, werewolves in England, aliens in Mexico, and sea serpents in the United United States. What's the matter with my...
1: I think you got stuck on the werewolves. I there.
0: don't. Yeah, no. Got I, a little hairy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Nick travels and lectures extensively around the world. I was honored that he wrote the foreword to my 2019 book, Dancing Past the Graveyard. Originally from England, Nick lives in Dallas, Texas. As luck would have it, this is his 13th appearance on our show.
1: Geez, a lot, a lot of, a lot of fun little little synchronicities there. So, Nick Redfern, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me on again.
1: Oh, it's always a pleasure, you know, I I feel like we kind of have like a cycle in which we have you on, and the cycle has come around once again, and so I guess we'll kind of begin at the beginning, which is, what is the current scientific definition of time, and do scientists all kind of agree on this definition? Well,
2: that's actually a really good question, because time and time travel, um, various scientists, physicists, take different approaches what it actually really is, and um, you know, one of the reasons uh, the um, the subtitle of the book, which is the science and science fiction of time travel, is because um, there's a lot of sort of ideas and um, theories as to what uh, might define time travel, and actually, it, it isn't really that easy because it covers so many different angles like for example um, we have things like um, (coughs) excuse me wormholes, um, black holes um, all of which um, in various situations have been sort of perceived as being um, to allow for time travel to occur by going through a black hole or a wormhole which are actually two very different things but um, this is where it kind of um, Get into uh, sort of uh, bizarre situations and confusing situations and you've also, of course, you've got the pop culture aspect of time travel where, you know, you jump in your DeLorean and just press the button to whichever you want to go to and, uh, and have a, a fun adventure, you know. So, um, in, in other words, what this means is that time travel is really theoretically, uh, for whatever the, the each person wants it to be, really.
1: Yeah, I don't think Zemeckis really really expected us to do a show like this today. Uh, so I guess that kind of brings us to, um, you know, it, it, where is sort of the traces of time travel in, like, historical literature, right? You know, we, we have all the pop stuff, but what about prior to? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, that's a good point, because, um, again, You know, the the whole issue of um, time travel, primarily at least, um, did sort of really begin uh, with sort of pop culture and fiction. And and although there were sort of a a few very, very, very early stories, um, the one that really took off the whole issue of time travel was, of course, H.G. Wells' um, The Time Machine, which was, um, and, and still is, a really good... Uh, novel and it still stands to the time uh to, to this day and uh that one really um hg wells's book really defined what most people think of uh, time travel the idea of creating this sort of strange contraption push, pushing the buttons heading for this year or that decade or for that century and having a lot of adventures and um and some hazards as well. Um, and there's no doubt that when um, Wells' book came out, um, it, it attached, you know, to the the general public very, very easily, to the point where it became um, a best-selling book. And um, and since then, it's been the subject of two uh, well-received movie versions. Uh, one in 1960, um, starring. Uh, rod taylor as the uh as the traveler and they one just uh, about i think about about 20 years ago now and um, and both of them as i said were well received uh, and i think one of the reasons why is because you know the angle of time travel um it's one of these things that at some point or another in our lives i think you know all of us at one point would have wish we could have gone back to see somebody again or change something or why didn't I do this or why did I do this could I just only I could go back you know I think anybody and everybody can kind of resonate with that and so that's why I think you know there's certain aspects of um, time travel that um, don't just revolve around technology it also revolves around you know our, our everyday lives. If only this, if only that,
0: you know. <laughs> I remember in uh, 1960 when that film uh, came out. The uh, <clears throat> and I was in like first grade, and uh, the, the kids apparently had been allowed to see it. And you know, where's that? Oh no, the world's going to blow up in 1964. Th- th- that's when they set the nuclear war, uh, which of course was not actually in Wells's book, but uh, in yeah. the, in the film. Uh, sort
1: of create a license there, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I mean, and then they actually believed it, the, these kids. I mean, that, I guess the way the world is being run right now, they grew up and uh, <laughs> took over, and that's the the mentality. I, I don't know, but it was interesting. I remember that. <clears throat> so did you have something else, Ben? Oh,
1: yeah. I, I, I actually, I do think it's really interesting, because, you know, H.G. Wells wrote that book in, in 1895. And I, I think at the, the point of time in which it was written, pardon the pun, um, mm-hmm. is... Is really interesting, because it's right around the turn of the century, you know, the Industrial Revolution's in full swing. There's this, this whole notion of science is the answer to everything. And it sort of became this sort of weird dualistic world in the, in the West, especially, especially in Europe and America, where you kind of had these dual existences people lived, where one was ruled by, you know, logic and reason, and then you had the spiritualist side, yeah. Which was kind of the the sort of break between the two, but both people kind of switched between these simultaneously, and it's it's super fascinating to me when this book kind of came around because prior to that it, it didn't seem like you know just just from my general knowledge of history that nobody really cared about it mostly probably because people were just trying to stay alive right you know it's you're you're chopping down trees trying to you know farm and and create agriculture and not die at the at the hands of some sort of unknown enemy. But it, it's it's fascinating that um, it's almost like uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, right, where you have your sort of base needs are met and then you can kind of move forward and, and contemplate bigger ideas. But I also think it's fascinating because of this sort of hyper-rationalization of reality it, it, that you can kind of start to see you know, manifest in, in you know, works of literature that sort of move through the decades, which arguably give rise to this idea of scientism versus science as a, as sort of a, a, a medium. Um, but, you know, all that being said, sort of this, this pop culture idea of time travel in this sort of medium through which we have some sort of control on, on not just, you know, the world around us, but on time Itself, I think, as as a medium, technology allows us to have some sort of control of our, our reality. And would you agree that time travel would be the next step in controlling our reality?
2: Well, I would say it's definitely one of the things that you know people would be pushing for. You know, scientists to see where we could go with it. Um, but in saying that, um, you know, one of the The things that I guess a lot of people don't necessarily think about is the the various um, types of time travel, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted Mm. to write the book because um, you know most people really you know nobody's uh, you know against them, but most people do do kind of look at time travel from that perspective of entertainment and and perceive well that's what the reality of it all would be as well but um, one of the things I talk about in the book is déjà vu you know this mysterious sort of phenomenon that at one point or another we all have you know this feeling of we've already done this before we've had this conversation before and it was in this situation etc etc and and déjà vu is a genuinely weird phenomenon and you could almost sort of, uh, sort of take a line from the Matrix. You know, the, there's a glitch in the Matrix. You know, <laughs> when it comes to déjà vu. Um, but joking aside, um, déjà vu is a genuinely weird phenomenon, which does kind of, at first glance, you know, it, it, it makes you think, "Wow, is this really a glitch in time?" And um, and there are other situations where again they relate to time travel but not in the conventional situation and by that i'm talking about things like prophetic dreams you know somebody has a a terrible dream and then six weeks later something exactly the same happens um and in that sense you're not literally going through you know the time machine or anything like that but what we are seeing is some aspect of time changing or altering in some way that we don't really understand. But that angle of um, nightmares and dreams, that kind of thing. When you talk about time travel, it actually doesn't get the um, the coverage that it really should. But um, but when you can, you know, speak to numerous people who have had sort of prophetic dreams. And then something just two weeks later, a month later, almost identical happened. And then again, you have to wonder, well, if this is sort of a glitch in time as well, how many types of diff- different phenomena are there that could alter time? And and I think in terms of science, the, the key would be to try and um, understand Things like deja vu and prophetic um, dreams, that sort of thing, and um, and see what we can do with it. You know, can we in some way or another, um, you know, sort of take it on board and learn from it, and possibly even really one day um, achieve time travel.
0: Well, there there are two layers that I'd, I'd like you to comment upon, Nick. Uh, one is, uh, in Einstein's special theory of relativity, it's pretty much uh, pretty clear uh, from his point of view that time does not really exist in any objective way. It, it's pretty much all simultaneous. So it's sort of an eternal present, as it were. That's very difficult for us to get our minds around because, as he suggested, time is a function of our consciousness. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, <clears throat> Ben couldn't attend, but, but I attended a... Uh, a brilliant lecture uh, the day before Thanksgiving sponsored by the uh, Consciousness and Contact Research Institute with which we're both involved and we had a show on that last week that uh, <clears throat> when physicist Tom Campbell was uh, talking about the virtual reality nature of reality uh, whether it be a holographic or whatever and that consciousness is central to the whole experience of reality including time uh, there's that, and then, then there's the, the quantum physics aspect, where uh, there, there's sort of, a, as indigenous peoples all over the world will say, there's sort of a, a gigantic tree, so to speak, and every time you uh, perform an action or make a choice, you create another branch on that tree, which essentially is another parallel universe. Uh, so if you go back and shoot your grandfather, go back in time, yeah. you would still be born only in a world where you didn't shoot the grandfather and yeah, that sort of thing. So that, that's a lot to throw at you, but <laughs> you're a smart guy, so what, what, what's your comment on, on both of those
2: aspects? Well, I mean, certainly, um, you know, with the grandfather angle, um, that is one of the issues that many um, anti-time travel people in the scientific world who just don't buy into it um that is one of the sort of key um, issues. In other words, you know, you, you create a time machine, you go back to 100 years, um, you kill, whether deliberately or accidentally, um, your grandfather, so you kill him, and then, of course, he couldn't have been born, to um, so your mother wouldn't be born, and so on and so on. So how could you actually you know, getting that time travel in the first place when you obviously don't exist anymore. And the one, um, the most popular theory, um, as you brought up, um, is that, that's, that gives us at least some degree of an answer to this is the, uh, like, the multiple um, universes, the parallel universes. So like you said... Uh, you know, the idea of there being multiple versions of all of us and possibly um, every, you know, just tiny little thing that we do every day causes sort of a, like a a line down the pathway, you know, of this um, reality and down this reality. Now that that scenario um, very much um, is the one more than any other that gives us sort of um, a sense of well yes this actually could work um, but you know just the literal black and white angle of being able to go back and kill your, gra- your grandfather and then come out of it you know I don't think that works I think the only angle that works would be um, that, that like the multiverse kind of situation and as far as um, Einstein um I mean, a, a great guy, you know, uh, a brilliantly um, intelligent guy. Uh, but I think where, to some degree, um, he, he stumbled, and where so many people stumble in this field, is the fact that, despite all the research, we have to admit that a great deal of it um, is pretty much theoretical. Um, mm. We're still looking at, you know, Stephen Hawking admitted it himself, you know the the idea of time travel and um, the consequences and things like this, but still, again, at the end of the day, it was well, you know, this is this is an idea, this is my concept. You know, so we are even now sort of really trying to, you know, get our grips on time travel, but I have to say, you know, we we are still in that kind of theoretical vein.
0: Yeah. Well, a physicist told me recently that you don't move backward and forward in time. You would move sideways. So I guess we could put that in our pipes and smoke it. Let's get to We have a lot of questions from listeners here for Nick. Uh, This one is from uh, the great Richard Eno in California, who was our uh, our cousin and occasional co-host at our Northern California show reporter and MUFOD investigator.
1: Indeed, Renaissance
0: man, then take it away.
1: Renaissance Rick writes to us, is revisiting past memories a form of time travel? I asked this question because I have many times visited past memories while meditating and have felt it as uh, it felt as if I was there. Um, I could smell and taste the air that were present at the scene. I could feel the temperature, the wind and even feel the mood. Um, I don't practice this much anymore because I believe it uh, it will hold you back from being in the present and charting healthy course forwards. What do you fellas think?
2: Oh, well, that's a really good question because it's very relevant as well. Um, in the book, I've actually got like several sections that sort of um, impact on that angle. Uh, in other words, you know, like you said, I mean, you sort of, you know, dreams, if you like, or... Uh, ...of things that happened uh, a long, long time ago... ...and it seems like you're actually part of it... ...well, you know, there's no reason, I don't think... ...as to why that may actually have been what really happened. Um, it's sort of like the opposite, the polar opposite version... ...of, like, deja vu or prophetic dreams. You know, you're either looking back or you look forward. And, and again, I think that is another egg, classic example... Of how and why, at times there, are, there really do seem to be glitches um, in relation to time travel. And um, unlike the you know the Hollywood version of all of this, um, what we find so many occasions is that people now and again have these just bizarre situations where you know they're walking down the street and everything kind of goes a little bit sort of quiet doesn't seem right and then they see the people walking next to them wearing sort of centuries old clothing and there's no cars there's horses and carts you know that's sort of like a not a specific case but that's that is the scenario and um and what this one of the things that um while i was doing the research uh for the book did demonstrate that um there are so many examples where people have had these bizarre, uh, but brief situations where it's almost like you know they're in a trance, and but time has briefly changed, and and when you talk about you know sort of going back, um, and you know in this particular situation when something was happening, and and as I said, like the polar opposites of. Um, Of dreaming about something in the future. So yeah, I think I think the you know the question or the you know what we were just talking about. I mean, was is a perfect one uh, because it shows that that time travel in some form I think does exist. The problem is it's not like the the Hollywood version. It's not about jumping in your your vehicle and and hit the accelerator or whatever. (laughs)
0: Well, that raises the question, uh, do you need anything other than your mind to time travel? I mean, do you need the DeLorean, or do you need the Victorian uh, monstrosity that... uh,
2: Well, well, yeah, I mean, I think we probably do need it, because what I found um, is that most of the people who've talked about time travel... um, you know when that, that scenario walking down the street and everything changes and things like that um, I think we do need more than just our mind but the primary reason being that we don't know how to sort of capture that phenomena that and that's what we need you know it's okay we you know I mean we could, I could write a book of 300 pages of people who have had bizarre uh, experiences going yeah. back in time and forward in time but the crucial issue none of them could understand how it happened and that that's a very important thing you know when when we know something really weird and fascinating happened but nobody has you know uh, even sort of um, you know a, a milligram of how it happened and so we, there's no doubt we need to understand um, how you know, we could learn to utilize it, um, but that's the big question: How do you utilize uh, something like time travel when, for the most part, um, it's something that's random and a uh, very short-lasting?
0: Yeah. Um, too early to take a break because I want to get into. Uh, no, we can we
1: can take we can take okay. a break whenever you'd like.
0: We'll take our mid-show break before we get into the next question. And you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our terrific guest and our great friend Nick Redfern. We'll be right back.
2: The night is
1: alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade the finest in late-night talk, listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time at thekingdomofnai.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal
0: Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And we're back uh, behind the paranormal, WON, AM, and FM, also on TalkStream Live and the Paranormal Radio app. Welcome to all our listeners for our second half of the show. Now, uh Nick, uh, it is fascinating to see how you can sort of walk into these things with, without a machine. I don't know. I'm thinking of a case. I'd like to get your, your thoughts on a case from 1975 that I ran into in Vermont. And it happened to two people at once, two surveyors, who were uh, walking the bounds, as they say, of uh, a, a plot of land. And uh, they walked down a hill. And uh, the uh, U.S. Geological Survey maps ordinarily will have the major buildings uh marked on them, but there was a big house at the bottom of this hill that wasn't on the map, and uh, it looked rather run down it wasn't painted, there were no electrical wires, there were no vehicles in the yard, nothing of that kind uh and they They came down to the road and they were going to ask uh, the man where his property lines were uh to to his knowledge and he came around uh with an axe over his shoulder didn't really seem to see them the two surveyors, couldn't really hear them. He kind of looked around like he perceived something. But then, and these fellows at this point, what they told me was there were still some pretty strange people in these hills. So we kind of, you know, considered retreat the better part of valor. And then um, the following week they came down to finish the survey and the house was gone. It had burned down in 1910. So what say you about that sort of thing? Have you run into multiple people having the same... Uh, seemingly time slip experiences. Oh yeah, there's uh, there's no
2: doubt that there's there's dozens and dozens of those kind of cases, and certainly the most famous one um, <clears throat> has been is known as the uh, Mobiley Jourdain incident. Um, it goes back to 1901 in Versailles, France, when two ladies were walking around uh, Versailles, and kind yeah. of like the situation you just. Um, talked about um but in this case i said in france 1901 and things kind of started to change and they realized that versailles looked a little bit different and the clothings of the people for that era were different and to their amazement they realized or rather concluded that um they briefly been strolling around versailles and had essentially um gone from one time frame to another but in exactly the same location and uh, and that story the, uh, the mobile Jordan is, is fascinating because although um, HG Wells you know wrote uh, the time machine as, a, as fiction uh, this particular case the Versailles one is one of the earliest um, stories taken seriously by a lot of people um, suggesting that, that yes, this really was an example of some kind of time glitch, if you like, is probably the best way to explain it. Because nobody, um, you know, was out there trying to uh, figure out what time travel really was, you know, or, or still is. Um, but what the um, the the their bu- the book that the two ladies wrote is a fascinating one because um, it tells the whole story albeit from the sign um, of, um, of fact rather than fiction. And so it's an important uh, part of the history of time travel. Yeah. But that one you just talked about and the Versailles story and so many other all fall into that particular category of briefly finding yourself plunged into either the future or into the past. And then maybe 10 minutes later, everything comes back to normal.
0: Yeah. Well, along those lines of time slips, we have a question from uh, Peter Shelley, who was one of our co-hosts uh, from Bogota, Colombia. And uh, maybe you could uh, think up some more time slips that you talked about in your book, Nick, because that's his question.
1: Indeed. And we'll get right into the first question, which is, what examples of time slips do you talk about in your book?
2: Oh, well, um, there's... um. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, one of the most um, fascinating stories that I've looked into is one that um, I heard a long time ago um, when I uh, lived back in England, and um, and it's one of these stories where again it's almost identical and uh, revolves around a, a UK um, battle called the Battle of Hepton Heath. Uh, excuse me, Hopton Heath. And uh, Hopton Heath um, was an area, and still is an area of central England. Um, and there was a famous battle back in the Middle Ages, and um, literally hundreds of uh, personnel, troops, fighters um, were basically um, sort of all killed. And um, and the the story of Hopton Heath is it's a real story. Um, It was this civil war, as I said, this civil war war story um, of this sort of face-to-face, you know, with one side on the other, classic scenario. Um, Now, back in the um, early 2000s, um, I interviewed a guy named John Davis, um, and he's um, a house painter, and he told me, uh, because I actually wrote um, a few articles about time travel sort of 10, 15, 20 years ago and that's how John Davis got in touch with me and he said that he had a really weird experience when he was driving home uh, one day and he, he suddenly felt himself in kind of like a vacuum and he looked to the right of the field and he could see um, what looked like hundreds and hundreds of soldiers um in uh sort of 16th century um uniforms and having these um this sort of face to face battle and he also obviously written because he knew the area he realized um it actually was at the site of the battle itself and even he had the sort of presence of mind later to look around and see if there are any sort of these um recreation kind of things you know where you can go and see the uh you know sort of a uh, modern day um, entertainment uh that kind of thing and there was nothing going on and he was absolutely sure that um, that he saw a sort of um a picture in his mind um of the battle of hopton heath but which became into like a reality he could actually see the battle going ahead
0: yeah Uh, There's another question from Peter, I think.
1: There is. And the question is, uh, what conditions or elements do you think could cause time slips?
2: Uh, Well, that is a good question, because there's one aspect of this that um, we don't really get to hear too much of, and that's in relation to the weather of all things. Um, There's one thing that I talk about in the book is um, on a number of occasions, um, people been in kind of like a similar situation to the Battle of Hopton Heath and the one you talked about with the house being burned down. But um, they, this other aspect um, is where people have sometimes just driving down a road and they suddenly see this very thick fog. And sometimes it's like a brilliantly white fog and other people have described it as like a green fog. And where they've gone briefly through this sort of mass of fog, and then when they've come out the other side, they realise that they are in another time zone. Um, and I've got about five or six cases of people who um, have <coughs> said that um, the witness. Well, four of them were the witnesses; two were, were hand stories. But um, but they were basically the same. That people were were sort of driving through this strange, whether white or green, fog coming out the other side and seeing nothing particular fascinating or extraordinary it just appeared to be a situation that um, the 1970s or the 1980s were briefly back to the 1940s or the 1930s um, so that's, that's an angle that is sort of not really addressed to any significant degree, but that issue of weather having a connection is sort of a fascinating
0: one. Fascinating, it certainly is. <clears throat> now here we have, um, a question for, well this is a li- well we'll leave this till the end because it's a little uh, off topic, but uh, before we leave the subject of time travel, uh, you have written brilliantly on many, many aspects of the paranormal, uh, Nick, and uh, including UFOs there is some feeling among some people that uh, UFO occupants may be time travelers and that um, we may be walking into a future scenario if they are humans from the remote future and all this sort of thing. What, what have you? Uh, what's your th- thinking on that aspect of UFOs as time travelers or us experiencing the future in some form or other?
2: Well, actually, it's a fascinating scenario because there are a few cases that have have made some people um, believe that or conclude that, um, that that is exactly what's going on—that um, that the UFO phenomenon is sort of a uh, a cover, if you like, for um, for us not actually really knowing who they are. You know that the the people from the future have sort of um, you know, presented themselves as aliens when um, it's us from the future, that kind of thing. And it's an intriguing theory because there are some cases to support this. Um, One of them is the famous um, Rendlesham Forest UFO landing Mm. in December 1980 in Suffolk, England. Um, It's sort of like Britain's um, Roswell, if you like. You know, it's, it's one of these cases that everybody's heard about But it was December 1980 in this large area of um, forest um, on the east coast of England, Rendlesham Forest. And over the course of three nights, um, there were strange lights in the sky, um, a triangular type craft came down, Uh, there was missing time on the part of the military personnel. However, the most fascinating story uh, came from one of the now retired guys, Jim Penniston, and he was actually US um, uh, personnel, but stationed in the UK, and he said that um, during one of these close encounters in the woods, um, that he was essentially in um, his, his, his uh, mind, if you like, was downloaded with all of this data, um, and part of the data was that, um, that yes, the UFO... Angle, if you like, uh, was a cover-up for the fact that um, you know that uh, we're really talking about time travelers. And um, and Peniston was told that um, that the future is bleak, and um, you know we're on the verge of, of sort of uh, I wouldn't say destruction, but the future was sort of very very bad, you know, for the people of say the 23rd or the 24th century. So they come back and try and. Fix things in the 21st century or the 20th century, and put it right. Um, hopefully for people in the 22nd or the 23rd century, or even further on. And uh, and Peniston, you know, is um he's he's a very uh, credible person, and um and it, this is a, a classic example. And there's another one, uh, just briefly, um, is the uh, the story of, <coughs> of Philip Corso. Philip Corso in 1997 um, wrote a book called The Day After Roswell and um, he was a military US military officer and um, he wrote this book, um, The Day After Roswell in 1997 claiming that he knew the truth about Roswell and he said that uh, basically it was a time machine and that the aliens that were aboard were not actually aliens per se but they were sort of biological robots created by um, the human time travelers um, in the future.
0: Yeah, Ben uh, has uh, been writing furiously.
1: Well, you know, coincidentally, um, your your question actually leads perfectly into mine, which is there. There's sort of this. Um, dichotomy right so they so there's this there's the experience of a lot of people just sort of having you know traveling through time by accident right but then there's this other need where we need a machine to be able to do this right so you know you have your time machine sort of lore and then you have ufos sort of traveling through time but it seems as if a lot of the the sort of anecdotal evidence we'll call it that is sort of these realities experienced by people where there's no need for technology. It just sort of happened, right? They just sort yeah. of wander into a town, and they're like, oh, geez, I went back in time, like, you know, five decades. So what is the relationship between technology and the experience? Uh, well, well,
2: that's a good point, because in some respects, you could make a case that there really isn't a connection, you know. Um, I mean... You know, that, that angle of time travel, you know, like I said, getting in the DeLorean and heading to 1955 and meeting your mom and all that business, you know, that's the entertainment angle. And possibly that could also be, you know, the, the factual angle if we know how to harness it properly. Um, however, in saying that, I have to say, um, most of the cases that I've uh, picked up on I've, I've, that scenario doesn't even come into into play even remotely. Um, what it does come al- um, in relation to are all these random, you know, just out-of-the-blue events, which maybe last for five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, and then it's gone. And there's no technology, there's no science, there's no, you know, clunky machine, you know, with um, getting... Making these weird noises like Doctor Who's TARDIS or whatever. There's there's nothing like that, and and this is one of the things that makes me conclude that that there is such a thing as time travel, but it's not the time travel that most of us um, are sort of um, you know related to in terms of movies and and even theoretical scientists, you know. But um, if you think about it, or if you look, actually look online and in the books and etc., um what we find is that there's a lot about um, black holes, um, wormholes, things like this. However, nobody, for the most part, is talking about constructing time machines. And you actually don't hear very much about that at all, you know people talking about the sciences behind it but um, creating an actual time machine I think is still a long way from us however this other random aspect of the phenomenon um, that I think it's ironic that the answers might come not through science it may come just from um, possibly harnessing the in some way you know these um, sort of random brief events.
0: Yeah. Well, let's take some time right now to talk about uh, your book, Time Travel: The Science and Science Fiction. Your other books, your website, where people can get them, and where they can find out more about you, Nick. Um,
2: well, you can get it um, um, on Amazon, and you can also get it off the shelves in Barnes and Noble, and um, and it covers just about i hope (laughs) every aspect of um time travel the randomness um the hollywood um equivalence um are aliens really time travelers or vice versa um and this and that's what makes the for me at least the the whole issue of time travel fascinating is the fact that um it's not just one thing i mean i mean i also talk in the book um you know, if you're looking uh, at things like, um, you know, you've seen your uh, absolute double walking down the street, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you I, know, I mean, I think we've all done that at some point. That person looks just like me. And, um, I have picked up on one story where um, a guy said he was being followed by somebody who looked just like him <laughs> and, um, and came to the. The reality that it was actually himself coming back to see himself, <laughs> hmm. and um, you know, so you've got that kind of um, bizarre situation. You know, maybe when you see somebody and it's their double, maybe you know there was some sort of glitch there. Who knows? But um, you know that that kind of angle as well. Um, but there are so many things like that. You know, the I mean, I there's one section in the book where. Back in 2017, um, literally dozens of people were having sort of terrifying prophetic dreams of nuclear war, and um, and I, I wrote um, a few articles on this, and I got literally uh, about 40 or 50 people who were extremely um, sort of disturbed by these dreams they were having, and um, and it was all about. Revolving around North Korea and so on. Yeah. Um, now, what? Of course, you know we're talking now, so it didn't happen. But there, what the fact is that so many people in 2017 were having these prophetic nuclear war dreams, and um, basically, what it came down to, or some of the people thought, was that they were actually having a prophetic dream of nuclear war. Um, however, it was a ch- or it was going along. Um, in one of these other realms, you know, um, or one of these other multiverses, and some of the people in the sleep states may have been able to pick up on what was going on in, and in another alternative Earth, if you like. But, um, but that was a really creepy story, that no.
0: one. Yeah, definitely. Well, in a way, that kind of leads into another question, uh, which is not about time travel as such, but it's from... Phil, uh, one of our show reporters, in the middle of the Litchfield, Connecticut Triangle. Then, if you would.
1: Sure thing. So Phil writes to us, Can you discuss the Men in Black and other entities that terrorize experiencers into silence? Who or what are they, and for whom do they work?
2: The, the Men in Black. Yeah.
0: Yes, we've uh, you, you've written uh, brilliantly yeah. on that. We've done whole shows on it. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I mean... When we talk about the Men in Black, most people think of uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, you know, the uh, the Hollywood version. Uh, A lot of people don't know that the term um, Men in Black actually goes back to the late 1940s and the early 1950s. And that the first book on the Men in Black, called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, um, was published in 1956. Uh, by a UFO researcher called Gray Barker. Now, people in um, the early 1950s who'd seen UFOs um, started to get knocks on the front door late at night, and they go to the door, open the door, and there's these creepy guys in black suits, black fedoras, and most of them were described as, like, not just slim or thin, but gaunt and with skin like the colour of a bottle of milk. Um, They kind of look like, um, you know, somebody sort of resurrected from the grave, that kind of thing. Mm. And and they warn people not to talk about these events. However, there is sort of like a paranormal overtone to this because um, some of the people who... um, were visited by the Men in Black, were not just involved in UFOs, but they were also involved in the paranormal, the supernatural, and particularly so the occult. Um, And it was almost as if the MIB were able to pick on where these people were and threaten them as well. Um, The most um, perfect example was a guy named Albert Bender. Albert Bender really kicked off uh, the phenomenon And his book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, comes across like a cross between the X-Files meets, um, I I guess, something along the lines of like H.P. Lovecraft, um, but blended together. So in other words, the real men in black do not come across like government agents. They really do look sort of like modern day vampires, if you like, and they have far more ties to the paranormal. Than they do to the UFO subject, but it was Hollywood that really created the image of the men in black being, um, you know, um, secret agents. If you like, it's ironic because the 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 secret agent aspect of the MIB is actually in the real world the that that aspect is just minute to the point of almost being you know being um, irrelevant.
0: Well, one of the uh, uh, just to sort of to bring our discussion full circle, I've heard opinions that Men in Black, some of them, really could be time travelers.
2: Well, I've got I've got a chapter in the book on um, the Men in Black being time travelers, and um, and there's there's several reasons why we could say that the MIB are time travelers. One is that they look completely out of time, which is sort of fairly appropriately, because even today when people have had experiences and encounters and the MIB come to the door, they still dress like, um, pe- you know, the guys did back, say, in the 40s and 50s, with, like, um, you know, the dark suit, skinny tie, and the fedora hats. You know, I mean, um, they, they look exactly the same. And there are also, there are cases where they turned up outside the front door in sort of like an old 90s-style uh, car. And this is where it gets weird with the the back-to-the-future type kind of parallels. Some of the people who said that the MIB pulled up outside the door and there was this long black car actually have said that the cars literally vanished. It was almost like a hologram and and it was suddenly switched off. So uh, there is actually, you know, um, that aspect, you know, of the cars and um, the time travel angle, you know, that... There is some degree of reality to it, but uh, but as I said, the the Hollywood MIB have nothing to do really with what people are seeing and saying in the real world.
0: Well, in a, in a way, that's reassuring. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so Nick, uh, wonderful discussion as always. We'll be in touch off the air, and thank you so much for joining us today.
2: All right, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot.
0: Okay. Let's... Indeed.
1: There's always a a plethora of announcements that we have going on, and I guess we'll start with our 2021 uh, speaking season has ended, uh, but that doesn't mean that we have stopped speaking forever. Uh, So we will see you at the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, uh, which runs from April 10th to the 26th, that's in 2022, and uh, not sure just yet when we'll be on the schedule, but we do plan to do a live broadcast from there.
0: Uh, There is, in February, however, the possibility, uh, probability, that we will be doing uh, on the uh, Friday before the Super Bowl, the Supernatural Bowl, Mm. and this will be at the Pine Bush uh, Paranormal and UFO Museum uh, in Pine Bush, New York. Uh, I was there just uh, last week, and a wonderful group of people, Disney Quality Museum, very impressed, and uh, so... Uh, Stay tuned for information on that. We'll see uh, where that goes. Indeed. And as we've been saying, uh, after years of many tech problems, all our regular recorded radio broadcasts of Behind the Paranormal from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on ON 1240 AM and FM have been restored in the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com. Also fully restored are the Return to Rendlesham series, from 2010 to 2011, which features somebody who came up in the show today, uh, Jim Penniston, mm. uh, very prominent in that series, and all related shows, uh, along with the uh, Chief Radio monthly two-hour specials from 2009. Uh, we're still working on re- restoring a few others, but most of them are there. Uh, sp- they are sporadically on uh, iTunes and YouTube and a bunch of other um, podcast platforms, but it would only be some, in most cases, the last... Six or eight years of shows, uh, you know, but not, not the whole fourteen that we're working on it.
1: Yeah, you know, baby steps, I guess.
0: Right. So, anyway. Yeah, so
1: speaking of, uh, on most major platforms of podcasts we are on, I don't know why I said that like Yoda, but we're on a lot of them. Um, that that includes uh, I, iTunes, uh, the Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Uh, you can check us out on YouTube as well. And we are all over the place, and we also have our own app. Um, it's bare bones, but it's free. Uh, right now it just has most of our past shows. Uh, you know, we're working on getting it on, on Apple, on the Apple iStore and, um, and Google online stores as well. Uh, but there's a link at BehindTheParanormal.com if you'd like to download it there. And while you're there, you can also check out our books along with those of our guest co-hosts, uh, at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to Book Us, along with all of those 900 plus free shows, uh, and now Restored, as my dad mentioned.
0: Well, then, word order straight, you must get.
1: Hey, you know, so, sometimes you have to read things in a weird way to get people's attention and get them thinking.
0: Uh, I'll have to think about that. Exactly. Uh, our website has a charity page with links to several good causes we have adopted on the show. Uh, now we have uh, the Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, for the restoration thereof. Uh, other charities include USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Venturing Connection in Los Angeles, and Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. And as we always say, we know these folks, and these are reliable charities. Oh, don't also, forget about the Milk Fund. Uh, the Milk Fund here in Northern Rhode Island.
1: Yes, big, we're very big around this time of year, soon to, soon to be, at least.
0: Yep, it's a Christmas charity, that's right. Indeed. So, check that out, please. So we leave you today with a deep thought.
1: Oh, what about our December 5th show? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're skipping skipping, every, skipping everything here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I calendar issues lately.
1: You, well, you know, it is it is about time, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Indeed it is. So on December 5th, we'll bring you a wide-ranging open-line show uh, with our special guest co-host, Tim Schwartz. And that, that should be a, a rousing time. We always have a, a wide gambit of things to go over, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be wonderful.
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, we don't have time for our quotes. So oh, no, like, sure
1: we do. Go for all it. All right.
0: Uh, this is from the Greek philosopher Aristotle. We live in deeds, not years, in thoughts, not breaths, in feelings, not in figures on a dial. We should, we should count time by heartthrobs. He lives most, who thinks most, feels the noblest, acts the best. I'm Paul Eno. And
1: I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind
0: the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.